The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and James Fourlines of Final Command led a track called Disciple Making Movements, New Wineskins for North America. One of their team members, Jerry Trousdale, who wrote Miraculous Movements, has written with Glenn Sunshine another book called The Kingdom Unleashed, which describes the challenges and issues of disciple-making movements for countries like those in North America. We've partnered with them to release a free sampler for this book, and you can download it for free at discipleship.org slash final command. That's discipleship.org slash final command. Now here's today's track session. As we start this session, I just want to... I've known Jerry for many, many years. He's... Um, you know, in, our cult, in this culture, I'll call him Jerry, but in Africa, I will not call him Jerry because our culture do not allow us to do that. So I will say Pajeri. That's as good as I can say. But um, I remember about 2002 when I came to the United States, I have an adopted son uh, who was adopted from the war he was at the age of one when they killed his parents and they used the boot of the gun to bash his face. So his face was badly damaged, left under the rain to die. And um, back home during the war, there was, I used to go to communities because I worked in an organization also called Tear Fund. So we used to work with people who have been amputated, who go to communities, bring them. And I worked with 300 amputees People whose hands were cut off, legs cut off, ears cut off, just badly damaged by the war. To help to de-traumatize them and uh, bring hope to them. So when Jerry went to Sierra Leone because Jerry had somebody he has also discipled called Edward. He went to visit because he was a missionary in Sierra Leone. So he went back to visit after the war to just see what was left of Sierra Leone. Because the war was very brutal. And I remember the first time Jerry went, he wanted to go down to the Susu people to visit. But everybody told him it's not a good idea. Don't try it. It's Kukuna. We were supposed to leave boat to go to Kukuna among the Susus. Because it was dangerous. And World Vision, all the people said, Jerry, don't even try it. We were praying. And in the prayer, I felt the Lord telling me we should go. So I looked up to Jerry and I said, Jerry, I feel led by God that we should go to this world. This is the right time. And you are going to go with us. You can imagine and his eyes came out so big. <laughs> but finally we went. And honestly, we were the only vehicle on the road. Went there, stayed with the people, created a relationship with them. And we came back and nothing happened. In fact, when we left that town, Kukuna, it was about three days after when the rebels took over Kukuna. Three days after. I remember they gave us a big cow as a gift. And when the rebels took over, I said, oh, if I had known, I should have brought my cow because these rebels are going to eat all the cow. But the truth is that when I, after he went the second time to Sierra Leone and he saw this son that I've adopted, he was so moved. And they decided that something needs to be done for this young man. So Jerry came back to Murfreesboro, where he is presently, spoke to some other medical people and some other churches, 
So they were moved to join him to help. That's how my wife and my adopted son came to America. And then after some weeks, I stayed home to put some things in place. And then that's how I also came. I came with two of my daughters. They were very small. And so that's how we came to the state. And while we were here, I had always been burdened because when I started ministry, I really started among Muslims. And honestly, I just have passions for them. I believe very strongly, without no molecule of doubt, that they are lost. And they are hopeless and helpless. And they need a savior. That is my conviction. So we sat down and we started to talk. There's another friend, uh, Eunice Jao, who is present in Ivory Coast. He's a French guy. So we all started to discuss about how we can reach out to some of these most difficult tribes, about 19 of them, how we can reach out to these tribes and bring the salvation message and disciple them. So we sat down and we listed all these difficult tribes together. And Unisa Jao was very concerned about the pygmies. He said the pygmies must be among those tribes. They must be there. So by, because he insisted, we put them there. And we started to pray and mobilize other people to pray. Today, by the grace of God, as I speak to you, all those 19 tribes that was listed, there is an engagement and some of them, there's a movement already among them. So, we have been working for a very long time. In fact, the whole issue of final command came out of that background. And uh, he was there to kind of, at the back, to nurture us. And there's another man called uh, Claude, um, Claude King. Uh, the man who wrote um, a co-author of Experiencing God. Yes. So, that is a journey. And we want to thank God because some of the principles were already explained. Some of them we a little bit overlap when he's talking about kingdom unleash. But I want us to know that if we believe God, and that is how I have prayed all my life, I will tell you I have spiritual journals. I keep journals. I will tell you journals after journals. Even when I'm here, this morning, as I was waiting on the Lord, whatever I feel impressed, I write it down. I write the dates. And the time. The date and the time. You see it in all my journals. And it's interesting after maybe, even now when I'm going through my journals that have been there for five, ten years ago. Because you, you, the brain you forget. I see things that we spoke about, we prayed about. I have seen them being fulfilled. Some of them long ago. I even forgot about it. So, we believe very strongly. And I, all my life, because of what... America has done for me. I'm very grateful for Americans. I'm not saying this because you're here. If you know me, I'm a very practical person. If you did not do anything, I will tell you. But I've been praying. Years back, I told Jerry, I told James, I told so many other people I've met who said, this will never happen in America. Oh, forget it. I said, God can do anything. And we pray for this nation. We fast and we pray for this nation. There are people who pray and fast with us who don't know anything about America. But I have prayed many times in my own prayer room. 
kneeling down and say, God, give us America. Take America back for you. It don't matter what you are going to do. If you have to shake their foundation, shake it. Do something to bring them back to you. Because I always am very grateful. Some missionaries out of this country went to Africa. Took the gospel there. Some of them died. We have their graves there. Because they believe in it. Many revivals happened here. And it just happened because people were praying. And the kingdom was unleashed. And there are so many people in this nation who have been a blessing to us. Some of the things we do today as we pray and fast. Some of them without asking them for anything. They said, this is what we want to do to bless you in what you are doing. And I am praying. My commitment to God is that God, I will not die until I see this happen all over this nation. Then I will die. I refuse to die until I see it happen. That's exactly what I tell God. God, I refuse to die. And I believe it will happen. I believe in my heart. Even being on this platform, seeing other people, everybody talking about discipleship, I believe it will happen. And if a nation like this come back to Jesus, <laughs> the world is in trouble. Because I know disciples will be made all over. So this is an exciting time. So as we talk about kingdom unleashed, I just want you to know that if we want to see the kingdom unleashed, which is God's, Christ's desire, which is the desire of God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jerry, a brother, a father, a friend. Please, I want you to join me as we welcome Jerry to come and share with us. Don't go too far. Uh, probably before we're done, uh, we'll have you come back. Uh, um, it's a great privilege to, to be here. And um, I guess I need to tell you that in our years in Sierra Leone, we, we were missionaries. Um, we did the whole thing. Um, uh, studied missions at a, at a couple of uh, universities. And um, we pastored at mission-sending churches and so in 20 years, we had, we, our whole life had been involved with missions. But I, I need to tell you that when I was 41 years old, um, I gave up on missions. I, I came to the conclusion that we didn't have the, the spiritual technology to finish the task, to finish Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will will we'll go to all the people groups of the world. And then the end will come. Jesus, one of Jesus' prophecies that he gave, the last one in Matthew 24. And, um, and it, it sort of broke my heart, but I just thought, I don't think we can do it. Lord, uh, may I have a sabbatical and do something else? I'm not sure he said yes, but he did give me uh, 10 years, uh, mainly in uh, Christian publishing and uh, then my wife told me, said, you know, we're going back to Africa. I said, really? And she said, um, yeah, that's, that's what the Lord, I, I'm, I'm hearing from the Lord. I said, I haven't heard that. But then I, I, the, the reality is, though, I knew that my wife is usually about nine to, nine to 12 months ahead of me. And so, uh, so I, and sure enough, um, I found myself resigning 
to go back, and yet we still didn't have any answers. Now, the reason that I I said all of that, it it seemed like um, if you if you if you look at the issues of that we have with um, finishing the task, it takes a long time to make disciples. It it's a very expensive in missions. We have the issues of culture that's so hard to climb over. And it takes so long to prepare people with cultural studies and with missiological and translation issues. And, and, and it just seemed like it wasn't happening. Now, this was in, uh, this was in the uh, mid-70s uh, when, I, when uh, I sort of came to that solution, conclusion. But in the meantime, what was about to happen, um, and that I didn't know it, while I was actually at Thomas Nelson, it began to happen in the 90s, was a group of, um, of uh, missionaries, uh, Southern Baptist missionaries, including Bill Smith, who I think is at this conference. I don't know if Bill's in here or not, but uh, Bill, there you are. I hope we get a chance to visit. Um, and David Watson and uh, David Garrison, intrepid uh, guys like Bill. We're, we're saying, let's just throw stuff up on the wall and see if, the, if there's something we can do that will change the trajectory of missions. And they were working in very difficult places in, in Asia and in South Asia and um, uh, Southeast Asia. And, and what they sort of came up with, uh, and I'm sort of condensing history here, what they sort of came up with, let's just do it Jesus way. Let's just do everything Jesus did. Um, And that seems really simplistic, but that's exactly what was happening. It was like everything Jesus told the 12 to do, let's let's tell our disciples to do. And everything Jesus told the 72 to do, which was essentially identical to to what he said to the 12, and, and let's see what that happens. And you know what happened? Movements started happening. Now, there was more to it than that. But, that, but that was the core of it, was looking at kingdom values and kingdom principles of ministry. And what sort of missiology comes out of that? Well, um, so God started doing things, and movements started happening, and David Garrison started writing his pamphlet, and everybody got excited, and then he wrote church planning movements, and it galvanized missions. It changed the trajectory of missions. And I, I was one of the ones that got to come back about the time that, that church planting movements was, was being, um, was, was suddenly on the market. And it was like, wow, wow, there's, there's, there's answers in it. And, to, and the blessing was that at our church, I was pastoring a church in Murfreesboro uh, as we came back to be a mission, a mission sending church. And David Watson wandered into our church to do Lesson 13 of Perspectives, which is multiplication. And, 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 and that day, Shadanke was in the room with me. I almost didn't go to it. I said, I, I, know, I know the people who've written the books on multiplication, and nothing's multiplying. And so uh, there's, you know, I, I don't think I'll even go, but I thought, well, Shadanke's here. Um, I'll go with him, and we'll see what this guy has to say. And we, and at the end, Shadake and I stood at the back and said, "What did we just hear? Um, if if it's true, if he's just a liar, then well, he's really good. 
But if this is true, then our lives have changed. We said that before Meg Ryan said that, you know, uh, or my life just has just changed. So, so, um, so Yanusa and Shadanke and I, I, I tell you, the, the reason that I have any credibility in life is I pick really good friends. And Shadanke and Yanusa Jow are two world-class guys. And so they took on these, uh, this vision of 19 people groups. By the way, they were some of the most difficult people in West and Central Africa. And uh, the Tuaregs were the most recent one that finally came to faith. Uh, we beginning to see movements happening with the Tuareg. Um, and so skipping up to the launch in 2015, um, um, as we as we looked at the as we looked at the vision of what we were doing, we didn't know how long it would take. Now, the amazing thing that we've seen is that um, God has done just remarkable stuff. He's blessed uh, Africa in in. In, in a multiple ways through these movements that we've, we've watched. I think, and I think I'm going to go to slide seven. And so I'm not going to go over these numbers. I just want you to say lots of disciples, lots of churches, lots of leaders in 318 people groups, and they're not easy people groups. 55% of them were unreached, and another 11% were unengaged. No one was there or the gospel had never been or never thrived. And, and then the Lord has brought forth so many blessings. And here's, here's what I want to say here. Um, when, you, when you get in the business of movements, God's business, and you see things like this happen, you don't dare say, come look at our movement. You just don't use language like that. You realize that every movement has a fingerprint and it's not a human fingerprint. Every, every movement is a, an extraordinary thing. And people who are in it saying, there's never been anything like this. And, and, and yet you realize it's, it's not us that's done it. We have been used by God to be catalysts and, and the other thing is, you heard about Shadanke talk about 700 partners in Africa. You see, it's unbranded. It's, uh, we, we know of some organizations that, that try to do movements just sort of by themselves and say it's, it's, it's brand X and move, we're in the movement business. You, you know, I, I want to just go and say, don't do that. Don't do that get other partners, because I don't know of any successful movement that doesn't have multiple partners, where, where God says, I'm going to bless the body of Christ coming together in unity, not to brand it, but to be completely unbranded. It doesn't matter who gets the credit, you know. It's, it's, all, it's all a miracle. And, and that's one of the things that you just say. The miraculous is uh, the hallmark of every movement. The consistent miraculous uh, happening. And so we're living in an amazing time. Now, if that wasn't good enough, um, uh, let me give you some for for examples of 
what's happening right now in the global south. Uh, right now, there are nine million. Um, I can't see if the if we're there, are we? Oh, okay. Sorry, this one's not showing it. So, uh, so there are nine million. Um, in in nineteen hundred, there were nine million Christians in Africa. Um, I think, yeah, nine million Christians. In the year two thousand, it was three hundred and eighty-five. I mean, anybody think in in a hundred years, a thirty-seven fold growth. Latin America, from fifty to sixty-four, and 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 the from from the turn of the eighteenth century to now. Asia, one hundred and one million now, two hundred and fifty uh, fifty-one million. China, ten thousand a day. And uh, in 2030, China will be the, the largest Christian nation. I mean, when, when did that happen, you know? Well, it's been in our lifetimes. It's been in recent years. And, of course, one of my favorite is Africa has 3.7 times more Protestants than America does. I mean, it's, and so you're thinking, how did this happen? Well, some of it had, had started happening in the 60s and the 70s when there was this surge of mission. Uh, really, as, as countries became independent, they, they also started saying, you know what, we can do other stuff too. And they started becoming more missionary and sending uh, the gospel out. And so we're at a, we're at a point, you know, in, in the time of the gospels, it was... Um, it was Jerusalem and Antioch and Constantinople and Rome. And, uh, but in, um, in the 20th century, it's probably was, oh, uh, Colorado Springs or, or Dearborn, Michigan or <clears throat> Grand Rapids or, or Dallas or someplace. But you know, now, when people are talking about where does the locus of energy and dynamic in, in Africa, you're, you're saying, well, it's where they speak Amharic or they speak Swahili or they speak um, uh, um, Afrikaans. That it's, it's in the places of Africa and places of, of Asia where you say, that's really where the locus of, of incredible momentum is happening. And so um, I, I wrote a book, Miraculous Movements, and in that book we, uh, we talked about how it is that Muslims are coming to faith. And so it, uh, many people got that book around the world. And so whenever I would do a conference, people would come up and say, why is it movements aren't happening? I could have just said, here's a line here for everyone that wants to do it. And then 70% would have been in the line to ask that question. And I didn't know the answer. And so, and, and they said, somebody needs to figure out what's happening there that's not happening here. And so it seemed like the Lord was saying against my better judgment uh, that there needed to be, somebody needed to research that. And eventually I got to meet a, a friend and uh, now my friend, Glenn Sunshine, and he was giving copies of Miraculous Movements away. And in New England, while I was giving copies of his book, um, uh, The Image of God and Why You Think the Way You Think, 
I was giving that book away to my friends and saying, you need to read this book. And he was uh, Chuck Colson's last mentee, worldview specialist and, and, and Christian historian and theologian. And so to, we teamed together and it took five years, uh, four years of hard work uh, to, to develop uh, this, this book, which is called The Kingdom Unleashed. Uh, and the tagline is how Jesus' first century kingdom values are transforming thousands of cultures and awakening his church. And uh, this was a tough book because it's never, never fun to talk about challenges. And, um, but um, but uh, it's given us, I think, another tool to use in the body of Christ to begin to say, how do we really nail down what are the issues? Now, I want to I wanna share something with you. I, you. You know about health. Um, how is it that we get immunized against a disease? Exactly what's the process of, of getting an immunization? When they, they give you the needle, what is happening? How do you immunize someone against a disease? You give them what? You give them a what kind of ver, what version of a, of a disease? A dead or dying version. You give people a dead or dying version of the real thing, and you'll immunize them. How do we immunize a culture against Christianity? Just just a thought. Is it possible that we're the ones that have done the immunization? by giving it a dead or dying version of Christianity. Now, that, that seems sort of hard and that seems sort of strict, and then I don't like to say that, but I think that's what we're having. You see, one of the issues is, and um, we'll go to the next slide, the root of the problem, problem is uh, from, from the 17th and uh, 1700s and the 1800s, Deism was a big issue. There were other issues, but deism was a big one. And deism was just that place of, there's enough evidence to say that there's a God, there's a creator God, but he's not, he's busy. He's not taking any care of us. I mean, he's not, he doesn't make a difference in the world. And, And that deism has continued into the culture today in a very, very strong way. And Europe was ahead of us, but now we're, we're beginning to um, feel the, the creep of it. And so if it gets into your theology, then this is what you get. You get a privatized gospel, which is uh, what, um, what one theologian, N.T. Wright, uh, N.T. Wright uh, Dallas Willard said, is the gospel of sin management. Uh, that's tough stuff. Um, it, the, the gospel of it's just me and God. The other, the other part of it, and that's a privatized thing. The other is the neo-gnosticism, which says that knowledge is more important than obedience. Hang on to that one. That's tough. Just ask yourself the question, are we better at knowledge or obedience in the church? 
if we do do obedience, can, how do we do it in a way it's not, not legalistic? Anti-supernatural is the second thing. That's the other thing we get from deism. Okay, yeah, right. There it is, anti-supernaturalism. Uh, this is a huge one. This is a huge one. It's, it's relying on our own resources rather than prayer. I'm, I'm not going to say any more than, than yeah, Shadaki's already said. Relying on professionals rather than ordinary people and re- relying on consultants more than Jesus-specific instructions. That was, that was essentially what the Baptists found out, that when you, when you go to, to Jesus' instructions, you get movements. Now, there's a reason for that, and we'll come to that a little bit later. And so Europe was ahead of us, uh, the next slide. Um, uh, But these issues can be really sort of boiled down to five issues. Uh, But I really believe that disciple-making movements, church planning movements, uh, a T for T, there's different names uh, that they go by. Um, But movements basically are the answer are the answer to the struggle of the American church, but how to get there. And so um, here's the first. The first um, is reducing Jesus' kingdom to a metaphor. I want to talk about this one a little bit because that's the thesis of the the whole thesis of the book. And Shadanke has already talked about ordinary people and and praying. And so we're not going to spend much, much time on that. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the kingdom of God. You know, you can live and die in an American church and maybe hear one or two sermons in your lifetime on the kingdom of God. Now, that's not true for every church, but in a lot of places, it's just not a theme. Now, this pastor may preach through the Sermon on the Mount or something, and that's kingdom stuff. But, but, the, but the theme of the kingdom of God starts in Genesis 1 and ends in the last verses of, of Revelation. It's, it's from the beginning to the end is the theme of the kingdom of God throughout the Old Testament. John the Baptist said that that was what his ministry was. Um, Jesus' ministry started with the words repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus gave a message, told the 12. He said, preach the kingdom of God proclaim the kingdom of God, repent and, and the kingdom of God, and then heal the sick and cast out demons. That was it. That was it. It was ministering to people's needs in prayer and advancing the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with the words, blessed are are um, the poor in spirit because for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? It ends with, you know, if uh, the uh, wisdom would be to obey what I've just told you. you. Let me tell you about foolishness and wisdom. Well, that was Jesus' end of the ser- Sermon on the Mount. said, you need to obey this. But you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you say, that's too hard to obey. There's too many counterintuitive things. That's because it's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a counterintuitive, upside down and backwards to everything that we know in normal culture, 
what we call normal culture. Actually, in God's eyes, it's abnormal. And so the kingdom of God is a lifestyle. I remember, I remember where I was in seminary when a seminary professor in the, the, the Old Testament theology, he said, you know, um, he was talking about his church and uh, some of a church that some of us attended and said, you know, our church is really the only church I know, we know that, that thinks the kingdom of God is the church. But the issue really is probably that's heresy. He said the, king, the church exists to do the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is infinitely more important. The church is an agent of, king, of bringing the kingdom. Jesus, uh, when Jesus prayed, and he said, teach us to pray. What did he pray? Lord, may your, name, may your glory be manifested on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it, may your kingdom come where I live as it is in heaven. And then um, the glory, the kingdom of the Lord. And then the last one was, and may your will, may obedience to your will happen where I live, even as it is in heaven. It's, a, it's inviting the kingdom of God down. And so you, we, can, we could go through for hours doing this, but you, you, but you see, it's the, it's the key theme of Jesus' ministry. And when he told the 12 and the, and the 72 what to do, he told them to proclaim the kingdom, to advance the kingdom, to pray kingdom prayers. You've heard today about kingdom prayers. You've heard that maybe, just maybe, in America, we don't have enough of a kingdom vision to pray prayers like that. That somewhere we've lost some of the, the we've, we've, we've lost some of the energy. I'm not gonna uh, talk too much more about the second one because that's, that is the, 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 the second one was praying small prayers to an almighty God. But I wanna, I wanna stay and just say one more thing about the kingdom. The kingdom of God um, is holistic. Historically in ministry, ministries are one of two types. They're even either ministries that are proclamation or they're, and, and the gospel message, you know, or they're ministries that are, are serving some sort of need. And have you noticed that usually they don't get out of those brackets? Usually we do one or the other. There's not many parachurches. Not there are churches that may do that, but there are not many parachurches that are both. But Jesus, Jesus started his whole ministry when, when, he was, when he was inviting the 12 by looking and, and having compassion on, on the, the people groups having compassion on what was happening and then saying, pray, pray. You start your work. He told the apostles, you pray the Lord of the harvest. And so that's what Shadonke's taken up. And, and so what we see in movements is that they're holistic. What Shadonke hasn't told you about is um, starting schools in Muslim communities for seven hundred dollars, 
or teaching a professional soccer team that has full, that's has Christians uh, there. That first of all, I'll just should, just should, should tell you he's a soccer fan, um, and if you're for man for man you, then you're Shadanke's friend forever. But uh, but uh, but Shadanke also was a little unhappy because the 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 team that uh, was part of his part of the country, the Bow Rangers, uh, they were mostly Muslim. And so he set out to change that. And sure enough, almost all of them came to faith, including the coach, who then, who then married his assistant. And that what made him unhappy also because he didn't, uh, she, she didn't live at their house anymore. So anyway, and so, so Shadanke sends out teams and he says to these professionals, you're going to have to lose the first match. They say, lose the first match, he said, for the glory of God. So you go to a Muslim community, and you, you'd get a friendly match, and, and you, you lose by one go. But you spend three or four or five days there, and then everybody's rejoicing. They'd beaten the Bow Rangers, and he said, said okay, we've got to have a rematch. And so... Uh, and, and so uh, uh, then they have a rematch. And so, uh, I, and I said, well, how do you get professionals to, to throw a game? He said, well, we'd make it an interesting game, but you just lose it the last, that's all. And, uh, and, and, and then, then he said, then we go for another time and we spend a week there or so, and we're making disciples. We're finding disciples. People are, well, they like us. And, and then I said, what do you, what do you do what do you do when you play the, the second match? And Shadanki, you said, we thrash them very seriously. So <laughs> no mercy, <laughs> which sets up a third one. By the time they come back for the third time, that community is having churches in it. But it starts with losing and soccer. So there's like 15 or 20 different types of ministries like that that are just ways of engaging a community creatively. And so, um, and so the gospel is, is holistic. I, I, I want to tell you a brief, brief story. That, a friend of mine that um, I met when we were doing the research for the, uh, for, um, the miraculous movements, his name is Jacello. And um, he has a movement that's, that is happening in his community that is slightly more generations than uh, Shadanke's. And so, um, and, and so he, but his story was this. He was a faith healer. And so he had a list of 5,000 people that had been healed in his ministry. And so this was a treasure to him. And so he kept that, kept that uh, to himself. And and one day the Lord, when he was praying, said, burn the book. And he said, Lord, why should I burn the book? And the, the Lord said to him, it's, it's a little bit of an idol to you. And I have more for you. And so what, what happened then was that um, he burned the book. And then the Lord said, now I want you to learn to make disciples, find people who can tell, help make disciples. And he found disciple-making movements. And so he, he then said, okay, I'll do, uh, I won't quit praying for the sick, but I'm going to be a disciple-maker as well. Well, I, 
I, I had the privilege of spending the night in his house with the team, with the research team, that as we were doing Miraculous Movements interviews. And I remember in, interviewing someone who was high in the police department in that town. And you know what they told me? They said, it is, it is so boring to be a policeman now. He said, we used to have lots of, lots of times we could go after thugs here and, um, and, and their prostitution was a big problem. Drugs were everywhere. He said, they're all, all of them became Christ followers. And he said, there's nobody doing anything bad anymore. He said, there's hardly anything for police to do. And I thought, what an interesting phenomenon. Um, and we went and had a bab- baptism uh, there. But did you see the transition? Was it a good thing to be healing the sick? Absolutely. Praise God. Was there something better when you go holistic and you proclaim the kingdom at the same time? And you make disciples. And so, um, and so the big deal, though, is how do you get to non-legalistic obedience? Now, there's one, one little thing I'm going to... Some of you have never heard of a Discovery Bible study. I'm going to give you just a little idea of what it is. Because this is how you get to kingdom stuff. You, how do you get to obedience without being legalistic? Well, what if people choose to read the Word of God and see what the Lord, the Lord says to them, and they then acknowledge what they have heard from the Lord, and they say, We're gonna, I'm going to try to do this this next week, and they're accountable for that. And so, um, I was on an airplane, and um, uh, it was one of those, I was speaking someplace the next morning in the Northeast, and and I remember I, I uh, was sleep deprived and I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to be rude, but I'm not going to speak to the person next to me. I'm just going to just sort of nod and, and go to sleep. And about before I could uh, really get in place uh, and be pointed in the other direction, this lady bops in to the seat right next to me and she says, and she starts a monologue. And it started like this, hello, my name is... And she told me some personal things about her, and I thought, I, I didn't need to know that. And, uh, and then she says, I'm a Harvard graduate, and I am the owner of a major marketing company in the, the, the northeast city that we were headed to. And I thought, well, that's good, good for you, you know, but, uh, but who are you, you know? Why, who, who start? And then she said, she said, I'm Jewish, and... I hate Christians. She said, I despise Bible thumpers, although I sort of like Jesus. And so I'm, I'm thinking, what in the world? But I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get to sleep. That's what I was pretty sure of that. And so, so I, I was thinking, Lord, what should I say when she asked the question, what do you do? Uh, this Bible here was right under it. I, you know, I could have uh, told her I was a professional Bible thumper and that probably could have given me sleep. But, but instead, what I told her, I said, um, I help people discover God in the Bible. And she said, I beg your pardon, what do you do? And I told her the same thing. She said, what's up with that? And I said, well, you're Jewish, right? She said, yeah. I said, um, do you have a favorite passage from the Hebrew Scriptures? 
And uh, she said, mm, uh, and you know, and so our eyes were wandering around and I thought this was the end of the conversation. Then she said, yes, yes, I do. I said, what is it? She said, it's the Hallel, uh, the Shema, sorry. It's the Shema. And I said, oh, the Shema. Well, you know, um, uh, I'm a Christian and we love the Shema too. I said, can you quote the Shema either in Hebrew or in English? And then she got that look on her face again, like, uh, maybe this didn't go in the right direction. And then she said, uh, no, I don't think so. I said, I wonder if the two of us could pull it together. Now, I could have pulled the Bible out, but I didn't. I thought it would be better for us to struggle together to figure it out. And so it took us about 15 minutes to get the Shema right, and we did. And then she was really proud of herself. And so, um, so then, I, then I said, so... Um, so the question I would ask you then is, what did you learn about God in this? And she said, wow, that's a good, that's a good question. And then she gave a really good answer. Maybe she was from Harvard. She really, it was a great, it was a great response. And then I said, and, and uh, my other question would be, what do you learn about yourself in this passage? She said, oh, now that's a great question too. And then she was very vulnerable. And so then uh, at that point was the time to ask the question, how will you obey this? And so I said, so how, will, how would you obey this um, if you were to say, I'm going to, I'm going to try to obey this now for this week? Uh, how would you do that? And so I asked her that and her, she snapped at me and said, I don't do obedience. And uh, at that point, um, I said, well, what would you do? Is there something else you might do? How, how would you say it? I mean, uh, she said, well, let me think. Oh, I think I could try to say, how would I align my life next week in light of God's what I've learned about God in this passage. And I said, let's give that a try then. So, and so she then gave me obedience statements of how she'd do it. At the end, now this had been a long study. You can do these in 15 or 20 minutes, by the way, in a workplace or something. But then, but then she said, this is wonderful. She, she said, you really do help people discover God in the Bible. And then she said, I have spiritual questions. Is it possible that maybe we could have conversations sometime? Now, that was simply doing a discovery Bible. That's how Muslims are coming to faith. That's how Buddhists, that's how Hindus, that's how Shintus are coming to faith. That's how uh, Chinese religions are coming to faith. They're coming to faith by people discovering God. And so, um, and so, in a non-legalistic way. Uh, but you know what it assumes? It's, it assumes that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are enough. Are enough. Does that mean that there's no heresy? Oh, no, you, you've got to have leadership. You've got to have trained leaders. You've got to have coaches and mentors. Uh, absolutely. But, but, but that's the, the core issue. 
And so, um, and so that is the issue. That's a kingdom issue. This is, uh, this is why, this is why disciple making movements, church planning movements are qualitatively different than traditional ministry. It's because they're centered in kingdom values. And, and when you're centered in kingdom values, you read the Bible differently. You know we get our paradigms of what the Bible says to do. We get our paradigms from, from Scripture. But if our reading of Scripture says there's no supernatural, then we won't pray. We'll read those passages and we won't pray. Or, or we won't trust that ordinary people can be transformed uh, by the Word of God. So... I'm going to skip over praying small prayers to an almighty God. Um, uh, is that too harsh, do you think? Um, the third one, the third uh, what we call spiritual malpractice is keeping ordinary people. Um, the fourth one is choosing knowledge over obedience. I think, um, I think I've pretty well just touched base on that one. So... And then the fifth one is depending on Christian institutions that can't multiply. Um, this, is, um, this is a really interesting one. You know, most of our Christian institutions are built on imparting information in ways that's not scalable or replicable. It doesn't reproduce. Um, disciple making uh, begins to get you in that direction. But when you talk about the institutions, whether it's churches or it's mission agencies or it's educational agencies, training centers, um, you know, we have these barriers. One of the barriers is the barrier of cash. It's interesting to talk about this um, does anybody know um, the data that came with, from um, from the center of, stu- of the center of studies of of global Christianity in Hartford at um, at the seminary that um, that they did this huge thing in 2000 a research of of the global church and they they looked at every continent. They did some research in America, and they, one of the things is they, they took the budgets of every American church and ministry and uh, combined that into a, a number, and then they found out how many people were reported baptized that year in North America and America. You want to take a guess at what the per capita cost of a baptism was? Yeah. Yeah, it was $1.55 million for every baptism. That, wasn't, that was, that was a, a massive study. Wow, how did that happen? How did that happen? Well, um, uh, you, know, you know what we see God doing? We, we see... We see money just not being a big issue. We see things like, you know, every $18 or so that gets spent on movements, somebody, somebody, gets, somebody gets baptized, you know. 
you just say, wow, how did that happen? Um, so, so cash is a big deal for finishing the task. It's not such a big deal anymore. It's not such a big deal. Um, when you are doing things that are replicable and scalable and you're thinking through the, the, the phenomenon of if it, if it doesn't reproduce, let's not do it. Um, the second thing is uh, culture. Um, have, having to crawl over a new culture is exhausting and can take years and years and years. And uh, learning languages, I, I learned to I tried to learn two languages in Sierra Leone, and which meant that I could embarrass myself significantly in, in one of them anyway. And, uh, you know, Shadanke knows I, I once told a, a, a large number of people with just a difference, uh, Nyagu Venga, Nyagu Venga, um, I, I thought I was telling them I was full after they had given us a meal. I, I wanted to say in Mindy, I, I was full. And, and what I said was, I'm constipated. And instead, just, just, a, little, just a little inflection. It's, but that, you know, they laugh for about eight minutes. Uh, so. Anyway, so the, the issues of culture. But you know, if when we take the peace, person of peace principle that Jesus said, don't go door to door. He said that. That's not me. That's what Jesus said. Don't go door to door. He said, find a, a person of peace, a family of peace, and stay with them. Well, what have you done? You have now found God's open door into that culture. Does that mean it's that you shouldn't ever learn a language or something? No, no, of course not. But it does mean that there are shortcuts that God approves of. It's his idea. And so, and, and so if, if you decide in your ministry to, to, to find those people that are, that are people of peace, and that's maybe for a different discussion, probably someone else will pick up that uh, later, then, then you're going to be in a situation where things go really easily for you. Um, and so uh, the long and the short of this is uh, the big the big things get dealt with. Now, you know, one of the principles that, so, so in this book, uh, the first part about is the, is, the first part of this book is taking on the topics I've just mentioned. The last part is, and so how, to, how does implementation happen in a way that, uh, that uh, brings fruitfulness? And so, um, so that's, that's the book, but the goal, the goal of the book is not to discourage people, but the, the goal of the book is to say, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Movements are going to happen in, in, the global, in the global north, but they're going to be based on kingdom of God values, and kingdom of our God values are significantly harder than, than just having people show up at church. Um, it's a different thing, and we heard some of that in the very first, first session after Shadanke. I want to give you a passage. I want to leave you with a passage. And uh, then we'll have a couple of minutes, and I think we'll have Shadanke come up maybe and, and address this. And maybe we'll just take some questions. But it's uh, from Luke, the 10th chapter. And, 
And in the, in the 10th chapter, I think you just have something remarkable. I'm not going to spend the time to go through the, ta- through the passage because you know it. You know the return of the 70 or the 72? So who were they? Well, they were no-name disciples. And so um, maybe they were disciples that the, that the 12 made when they went out. We don't know. But, Jesus, but we do know that none of them have a name in Scripture. And, and Jesus called them back somehow, and so they all showed up. And they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And, and so there's, there's a giddiness here, it seems like. Lord, these demons, they just run away when we say your name. And, and Jesus, it sounds like Jesus is sort of sober, and he said something It sounds uh, like it's not intuitive. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven. What's that about? You know what I think he's saying? I was there. I was there when Satan was cast out. And, and Jesus is seeing something much more significant. I was there. I was there. I saw Satan cast out. Behold, I am giving you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. But don't rejoice in that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay, names written in heaven. So Jesus is saying, bigger issue, much bigger issue than you're thinking about. You're thinking about uh, an, an isolated event of, of a little say, a spirit running away. This is not about that. This is about you're doing the same thing I did. You have received my ministry, and you're doing my ministry. And so he, and so he said, uh, and your names are written in heaven. I don't think that's saying the Lamb's book of life. I think that's maybe Hebrews 12, 1 a great cloud of witnesses, that there's, cha- there's, cla- there's, there's, in heaven, there's a celebration going on when, when, he- when hell is plundered and when the p- demon's powers are broken. And it's a big issue. It's a big issue for Jesus. And then, and then there's this passage in verse 21. He said, in that hour, and this is a unique passage, it's the only passage in Scripture that tells us Jesus was giddy, happy, explosively happy. It's not really a, a translatable phrase. It, it could be twirled. It could be jumped. He leapt for joy. He, he was excited. Jesus rejoiced in the spirit with, and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent, reveal them to babes, even so, Father, for it seemed good to you. Yeah, that's like Matthew. Why did Jesus choose Matthew? He couldn't go to the synagogue. Why did he, why did he choose um, Simon the Zealot? Simon the Zealot would have taken an oath to kill Matthew. Do you think Jesus sent Matthew and Simon the Zealot out together? Yeah. Jesus had some very unusual and maybe not extraordinarily savory characters. And his, his troop. 
And he's, and now it's 72. Now it was 12. Now it's 72 more. And Jesus rejoices. He's jumping for joy for something. And then it, and then we really get the message in verse 23. And he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes which see what you have seen. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and they've not seen it and to hear what you hear and they've not heard it. That's why he was giddy. You know, when we make disciples that make disciples, when we pray prayers that bring forth the power of God to change people and to change countries, when we do that, heaven's watching. And kings and prophets, kings and prophets are jealous. So that's my message to you. I think it's, I think that, I think the world of disciple making with intent, scalable and replicable with obedience uh, and kingdom values is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. And uh, I recommend it to the American church. So, <laughs> Shadaka, you want to come back up? Maybe we can take some questions. Okay. Uh, any questions? If the hard ones, I'm going to give to Shadaka. So. I will say, go to God in prayer. Listen to what, (laughs) listen to what God is saying to you and just obey him. Whatever he says to you, obey it and you will see the fruit. So, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, some people walk away from the church. If God wants you to do it within that church, a lot of people are going to repent and follow what you're doing. So I would say it starts from the place, just pray, get your leaders to pray and ask God, what do you want us to do? I want to encourage anyone hearing all of this and you go and just begin, take, you go, get some other leaders that believe in what you are doing, take them out somewhere, it might be a three days time or a week, depending on the time you have, seek the face of God. Let God know that you are really hungry to see him move. And I'm telling you, God will speak to you. And whatever he says, follow him by faith. And you will see the result. And uh, institutions aren't bad. Um, necessarily, they're not. Um, you know, Christian institutions, as Shadanki had said earlier, um, that he sends people to seminary, to Bible colleges, um, because there's a value in that. But, but the vast amount of training, by the way, the most expensive part of disciple-making movements, by far, the most expensive thing is training and coaching. Every, two, every, every three months, we find we have 2,500 or so, somewhere between 2,400 and 2,600 new leaders are online. And we'll be coaching them the rest of their lives, coaching and mentoring and pairing them up, so forth. You've been listening to a message from Final Command and their track called Disciple Making Movements, New Wineskins for North America. Make sure to grab your free digital download of the sampler 
that comes from one of their team members. It's called The Kingdom Unleashed. And you can download this at discipleship.org slash final command. In addition to this podcast, you'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.